You're listening to episode 123 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Fazal Syed. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's greatest tennis pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today I have a interview with Fazal Syed, who was a former top 400 singles player and top 200 doubles player. And he actually had a, a pretty short by most standards, but very impactful tennis career on the pro circuit, pro tour rather. And he was also a former Davis Cup player representing India. He's had many other accolades, uh, such as the USTA Middle States Pro of the Year, bronze medalist at the Asian Games. He also coached Mahesh Bhupati and Martin Dam, who are both Grand Slam champions as well. And he played college tennis at Temple University, number one singles and doubles by a long shot. Fazal was also the number one ranked junior in India, and he is a faculty member at Tennis Congress. So uh, clearly a great resume from Fazal, and it was really a pleasure to speak with him. Uh, we actually spoke around, I think, 10 p.m. both our times. He's in uh, Philadelphia, I believe. Uh, yeah, it was a great, very enjoyable interview. And uh, before we start, I just hope that everybody had a fantastic Thanksgiving slash holiday weekend. I'm very thankful for all of you for listening to the show and for all your support and uh, your emails as well, Thursday and Friday and some of the weekend. Really excited to present this interview with you. Uh, Fazal is very thoughtful and uh, gave us some very entertaining and also insightful knowledge that I think you'll really enjoy and that will help you become a better tennis player as well. Oh, and also I forgot to mention that Fazal is the director of Level 7 Tennis, which is a fantastic program as well in uh, in Pennsylvania. So, all right, uh, with that, I will bring the interview to you right now. So without further ado, here is my interview with Fazal Syed. Hey everybody, this is Mirabon. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really pleased and honored to have Fazal Syed on the podcast today. Uh, he is a former ATP pro and is really doing a lot of great things for the game, uh, as I mentioned in the uh, the intro before this interview. And uh, Fazal, I uh, I want to ask you, well, first I want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I know it's, it's kind of late uh, right now during our recording, but I really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. It's great to be here, and I'm really uh, impressed with the kind of work you're doing. So I'm always, you know, it's just part of the game to be involved with uh, cool efforts like this. Thanks, Vazel. And obviously, that's why I brought you here, too, because of just your very impressive resume. I mean, you're just such a top-level player, and now you're, uh, you're obviously doing a lot of coaching and giving back to the game. And so it's fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, so first question for you, Fazal, is, you were born in India and you moved here, uh, as far as my research anyway, to go to college. But how often do you actually go back and visit the motherland? 
Uh, yeah, I actually was born and raised in India, and I came here on a tennis scholarship. And uh, I used to go back fairly often when I was playing, but now I have a, a business and I have three little ones, and it's, uh, I just don't get a chance to go back that often. It's been a while, actually, since I've last gone. I, I think it's coming up. I might go next year. But, uh, you know, I stay in touch with the, a couple of the guys that I played with and stuff. Obviously, stay in touch with my family. But uh, I have not physically uh, gotten on a plane to go go back to India in a while now. Gotcha. I hear you. Obviously, a lot of life stuff comes in the way of that and family. But uh, what would you say is maybe like the number one thing that you miss most about India? So, to be honest with you, I, I'm not the kind of person who looks back. Um, you know, I had some great memories growing up. And, you know, obviously, um, my parents are in India. So that's, I would say, would be my number one thing, that, which, you know, I do feel a little guilt about mm-hmm. not doing especially as they're getting older. Um, yeah, you know, I would say that would be my number one, two, and three. Yeah, I mean, I identify with what you just said because I am super close with my parents, and I'm sure if I was in a different country, that would, you know, be a little tough. But um, obviously, you're you're thriving and doing well here, and I'm sure they're really proud of you. Uh, so I want to bring it back pretty far, actually, and ask you this question: uh, You obviously you were a uh, top player, number one ranked junior in India. Uh, what is your very first memory of hitting a tennis ball? Uh, you, you know. Uh, I started tennis with uh, Akhtar Ali, who was the Indian Davis Cup coach. My dad was a national soccer coach, and they were friends. So I remember going to see his son, Zishan Ali, who was a uh, top world-ranked junior, who was actually as high as world number two junior. And so as a kid, we used to go watch him play, and then we'd just like, stick around and get, a, get to hit a few balls uh, afterwards. And you know, we were sort of hooked by seeing uh, somebody of that high caliber in front of us. And so that's what I remember first about my tennis and I, I guess my first match, which I lost to a girl and I cried for a good two days. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's always tough. But uh, I mean, actually, on that point, um, you know, what brought you back? I mean, there's a lot of people who when they experience a hardship in something, especially something new, then they quit it. So what brought you back? Uh, you know, it was just the first tournament. I don't think uh, I was even serious enough to be leaving it. I mean, uh, we were I started playing at 10, which is relatively late. Uh, but then I never really got better until I was like 13, 14. So, you know, I was it's just a part of learning process. And I would say I think at an early age, I was fairly tenacious. I, you know, I was not the kind of person who quits when they first lose. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's it's one of the most important traits of all to become a pro like you uh, became, obviously. And so you mentioned that you didn't actually, I guess, become a highly ranked player until 13 and 14. So what what made the difference in the, those three to four years? Um, you know, I mean, I really, to become somewhat decent, it took me, I would say, a good eight years. Because at 18, I became number one in India. Even at 13 and 14, I remember first just getting to the national level after four years. Mm. And I remember losing my first round nationals at 6060, wow. and the guy mocking me at the <laughs> match who later on become my friend. But you know, in a few years' time, I ended up becoming number one in India, sort of like uh, overpassed a lot of the people who are way ahead of me. You know, I think I was just you know I, fortunate in the sense that uh, I had my father as a, a mentor who was himself a very accomplished athlete and a coach, and I had Akhtar Ali who was like a father figure to me. Um, and then, you know, I was, uh, 
Akhtar, like you know, in India, as you know, everybody's an uncle, right? <laughs> so I still call him Akhtar Uncle, and uh, he always told me my greatest talent was my work ethic. Mm. You know, I was just uh, relentless, and a lot of people had told me I was never going to be that good, and uh, I just had it in me to prove a point that uh, you know I was going to be more than that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I mean, yeah, maybe to expound upon that point a little bit. So, I mean, you had like the the one player who turned friend mocking you and other people, you know, maybe thinking that you can make it. So how did you use that energy to become a, a, such a great player and the best in India? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what it was. I think uh, it's just people that have it. Uh, you know, I, I remember as a kid in school we used to have these uh, extempore speeches and um, so one of the topics was uh, a winner never quits and a quitter never wins and it kind of like stuck mm. with me that's been my motto in life in general and it's just like um, I always had I actually my when I think about it I watched um, my when I was just first started playing tennis and I, I was we had the tie in our club in South Club which is called the Wimbledon of the East uh, where all the great players like Rod Laver and Roy Emerson and Tony Roche and all these great Australians came through. And so we, we used to hold the Davis Cup tie. And uh, for the first Davis Cup match that I remember, I was in third grade and uh, third or fourth grade. And we had uh, India was playing Italy. And I remember taking the Friday off, like convincing my dad that I needed to go watch the match. And just being in the Davis Cup environment where the whole, uh, you know, the stadium's cheering your name, people are going nuts. And I was like, I want to be like this. Yeah. I want to play for my country. And it was like my childhood dream mm. that I'm going to play Davis Cup for India. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want to be like these guys. And uh, so that was my, I had sort of like made that my dream. And in the meantime, I mean, I was been I've started, I was not even in the state mm -hmm. level, and people were telling me I was not that good. And I tell my son this, uh, you know, because I remember I was one of those guys who was just relentless. I would after practice, I would go in the back of the club and I'd be jumping rope, doing push-ups, sit-ups, and, and the people, the older kids would say, "Hey, why are you working so hard? You're not gonna be that good. Come back over here. Come sit with us and have a drink." <laughs> Like a, so, uh, like a Coke or whatever it was. And um, I, I remember those days, like people would just be like, what are you working so hard for? You're not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, it, it was just in my heart that I wanted to be, you know, that was my dream to play Davis Cup for India. And uh, I wasn't going to stop till I got to it. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure that took a lot of... A lot of sacrifice. I mean, like when you were a junior, were you skipping like lots of functions and events that normal that kids would normally attend as well to play tennis? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, um, my dad always told me this, and uh, he is like, he's like, the better you get, the more people mm -hmm. want to be your friend. The more you want to be others' friends, like you know, you're wasting your time. Um, so I was, yeah, I, you know, I was that. I did definitely uh, didn't have it was not like a normal childhood where you do all the birthday parties and this and that you know you're going to tournaments you're practicing uh, I had a very tough regime like you know regiment like early morning five o'clock wake up pray stretch workout like you know serve practice or jump rope go to school go to tennis finish tennis do all more practice come home homework go to bed. And that was basically my life till I came to America. And, uh, you know, we never really went past 10 o'clock at night 
most nights we slept mm-hmm. like 8.39 and we never really stayed, uh, stepped in wow. bed past five. And uh, it, it was, uh, it, you know, it was tough and my dad definitely put on a lot of sacrifice and put the hard hours behind me and my brother. And, uh, you know, so I was, uh, in order to accomplish something great, you got to put in a great amount of effort and you got to believe that you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Fuzzle, how were you able to build, you know, that sort of uh, 5 a.m., that, that discipline that, that, you know, that you'd wake up every day at the same time and things like Because obviously a lot of people struggle with actually building up like these great habits that help us accomplish great things. So how were you able to build that up? Yeah, you know, I think I'm really fortunate for my father. He was right there. Like, you know, obviously as kids, there are days you wake up. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember early morning we used to get up and pray. And, you know, when we go down to bow down, that would be like a long bow down. <laughs> 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 that would be like a little nap down there. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he definitely was behind us the whole time. And, like, you know, he helped. Um, you know, he woke us up. He was with us. I mean, he was waking up with me. I really think I... I wouldn't, I definitely know I wouldn't be here without what my dad dad did for me and was, you know, his sacrifices. So I'm very, very thankful for that. 100%. I was wondering if you could give us maybe, maybe like one lesson that you learned from Akhtar and also one lesson that you learned from your dad uh, that you still carry with you uh, today. You know, my dad always told me, uh, you have to have the heart of a champion. And uh, Akhtar uncle was also, you know, he came from not the most privileged background and he came up up the very hard way. And I just saw what a great fighter he was, what a great competitor he was. But I also saw him, uh, you know, he he was somebody who supported on his own a a girl's orphanage, a Muslim girl's orphanage in um, India. I used to get girls married who came from very low, uh, lower income backgrounds, just doing a lot of work. Uh, so just the work ethic and also just remembering that you got to give back and like doing things for your community. And, you know, I think those are the two things that I sort of like take from each of them. That's awesome. Appreciate you sharing those, those lessons uh, from people very close to you. And then so obviously you uh, you got to the top of the ranks. I think you mentioned in, when you were on uh, 18 or so. Uh, I was wondering uh, what was it in your game or training or anything like that that got you to the number one uh, player in the world? Or in India, sorry. <laughs> in India, I wish I was number one in the world. Um, no, <laughs> but you know what? You know what's interesting is uh, I remember as a, until I was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Like, I think I would attribute a couple things. First of all, I was a. Uh, I think I was. My physical fitness was probably top notch. Uh, I was. I've never lost a match because of fatigue or cramps or injury. So I worked physically very, very hard. So I was probably the fittest player. But at 15, I was 5'1", and that year I grew seven inches. So, uh, and that compounded, my serve overnight became bigger. And so my game changed, and I, I, what happened was I remember Dr. Uncle telling me, like, if you want to play professional tennis, I mean, mind you, I'm not even close to national level tennis at this point. And he's like, if you want to play professional tennis, you got to have a big game. you got to go for shots. You can't be, like, you know, just pushing the ball in and, Hoping the other guy misses, you gotta like take the initiative. You gotta be aggressive. You gotta, you know, you gotta make things happen. You gotta, you know. So I, my game, I worked very hard, and it's a lot uh, easier said than done, right? because people get used to playing a game. 
that's their culture, that's their character, like, you know, not making mistakes. And now suddenly you're like, you're okay to make, make mistakes. You're going to take some chances. You're going to be more aggressive going after shots. You're going to go for the big serve. You're going to serve in volley. You're going to chip and charge every once in a while. You're going to hit and come in very quickly. So it's a completely different game. And it took me a little bit of getting used to it. But after two years at 17, I really started, I could just see like, you know, I was just like, going like literally speeding past a lot of the juniors who were like winning in juniors but couldn't because i think at 15 16 i started having good success in the men's open tournaments and then uh, 17 18 i really started getting to the top and i started like beating the top men's players as well in india so um yeah i, I was fortunate i think you know That's i mean awesome. a lot of people mm-hmm. get advice i was one of those few people who made the most of every advice given to me mm-hmm. like you know i used to i remember after uncle like when he would t- coach i would go sit on his lesson just listen to what he was teaching other people so i could learn from it so i was sort of a little hungry for learning and really hungry to like improve my game i had a lot of like you know self-motivation i think they compound over time when you do the right thing uh day in day out and year over year, I think you know, the rate of improvement improves. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure, of course. Yeah, compounding gains, right? Um, yeah, no, totally. And I appreciate telling us, uh, you know, just your, your growth, and it's amazing. And yeah, I was wondering. I mean, you, you talk about the self motivation and things like that. So I mean, I guess I started thinking about, you know, there's some kids or whoever who who. Like they have the goal that they want to become this and that, and maybe they're motivated for, you know, a few days or something like that. And, and you know, it is their goal, but they just, when it comes to actually the things that they have to do, they don't end up doing it because of, I don't know if it's laziness or something else. So, I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to think, you know, are there any solutions to that or does it, is it always just intrinsic or can there be some guidance there? I think a lot of it's like, you know, and you, you like, I think I was fortunate to be surrounded by a father who was himself a very high-level player. And so, you know, he pushed me for sure. I was fortunate to have a coach who, even if he was not every day around me, like, he cared about me. Um, and uh, I think it's important to have the right people around you. Uh, it's very, very important. And, you know... I think it's, I, I'm sure people can, like, as much as my story seems like I did it on my own, a lot of people who know me still think that I did it on my own. Uh, I don't think I did it on my own. I really think I had a lot of people, like, you know, my, my father was a huge part. Akhtaranko was a huge part. Um, I also do think the naysayers play a huge part. You know, uh, it kind of sounds odd. Like, people like me, when somebody tells me that you cannot do something, it just is the best thing to, for me to hear because it just fires you, you know? So you just remember like, like these people, they will want to see me fail. So I, I got to get out there and keep going because right. I know I can do this. Love it. Love it. I love that. Um, great stuff there. Uh, just kind of like a, I guess a, maybe a side question in some respects, but in India, what type of court is the most prevalent? Are there mostly hard courts or are there mostly clay or, or, or what's the makeup usually? So, I mean, I grew up, like our club had red clay and grass. So we oh, would wow. play some on uh, grass, and which was my best surface because I serve a volley. 
Um, the red clay was there. We did have some hardcore. I mean, right now I, I haven't uh, been back in the last seven years, but I heard it's like pretty much everything is hardcore. Almost like uh, if they they can't even play on grass anymore because they've gone away with it, which I is feel as sad. But I think uh, you know the the clay court. Uh, I mean, you also have this, I mean, Bombay was the only place where they would have the the sand courts with the the sprinkling of the the cow manure, <laughs> which made for a very 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 fast court. It was actually a sand court, but they would, but you know, people would have a field day talking about you know <laughs> cow s h i d court. Right, right, right. <laughs> Thanks for spelling that. <laughs> um, but when you say sand court, like, was that supposed to be like kind of like a clay type court? It is kind of like a clay court, okay. but it's it's pretty fast. It's, it doesn't play like clay. It mm-hmm. almost plays like uh, faster than a hard court. It favors the hard hitter. Cool. Very interesting stuff. And uh, so, Fuzzle, as far as like the, um, and I don't know if I'm using the right name, but the uh, Indian Tennis Federation, I mean, how much um, like backing or support did they end up you know, giving you, I assume, you know, when you became top in the country, maybe they had some involvement or something like that. Uh, I'm trying to uh, phrase this politically. Sure. Uh, <laughs> let me. Uh, so th- I think that gives you the answer. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's it's a little bit rough there as far as the support. Yeah, it is. It's. It, I mean, they are not the most uh, ingenious people. They're. You know, they're just. Uh, you know, I. I mean, I had a little bit of a run in with them because. I was number one in the country and I'd won the men's nationals and they asked me to be part of this the player development program, which was basically like useless. And then fortunate for me, I actually, the, the connecting dots is like, you know, I was playing a challenger in Bombay and I was the last guy that day practicing. And then this guy came, he'd, he'd come from UCLA and he was like, Hey, listen, I got in late. I like to hit. And, uh, you know, so I just stay, stuck around here with him, and then we become really good friends. And he, this, he heard my story. He's like, "You got to get out. You got to go to America and play college tennis, and it'll be great for you." You know, you're wasting your time here. And I, at this point, had no desire for America or college tennis or anything. But like, I was so miserable there, and I formed this really superb friendship. And uh, this friend basically helped me come to America. So the best thing that came out of this that really. Uh, experience was like I actually prepared me for my next step and had I not come to America I probably there was a good chance I was going to quit tennis wow wow so that tough so at that point um yeah I guess I assume there's no real like you can't really sustain yourself if like say if you were the number one player uh in the country and like was there enough like money tournaments that you could keep playing in India to to survive yeah, I, I, I guess you can do that. I mean, you know, it's 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 a weird uh, setup. It's like you know, the system does not produce product, and in spite of the system, people come through. But the people who come through is usually like, look at when I was playing Mahesh Bhupati, Leander Pace, myself. Mm-hmm. We're all father sons product. Like, you know, Mahesh's dad was a tennis player and a tennis coach, and he pushed Mahesh. Leander's dad was a hockey player, Olympian, pushed his son. My father was, you know, a great soccer player and pushed me. And, like, so it was our families were doing what they could do to help us. So it was basically your personal network and, you know, 
your access to knowledge, your access to funds, and your access to uh, coaches or whatever, what have you, which allows you to get ahead in India. And I hope to God that the system has changed, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. <laughs> I promise we won't really talk about it like uh, much more. But I, uh, I do remember actually now uh, that I read an article from uh, basically about I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, Sumit Nagal, where yeah. uh, he was also talking about how the you know support was kind of rough even after he had a great showing you know against Federer and won a set and all that. So, um, but yeah, I appreciate you letting me know about uh, just. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know what? I I know I know Sumit quite well. Like uh, I, when Mahesh started his program, which got shut down, mm. and uh, which was again quite a mess. Uh, it was an un- a very nice program, but the powers to be did not want that program to thrive, so they shut it down. And Sumit was one of the kids uh, who was part of this program that uh, Mahesh had started in India with the support of a tire company. And uh, mm-hmm. so he basically, Mahesh, had to let go of those eight kids that he had handpicked to train, hoping that one of them was going to become a world-class player. So because uh, of pressures from uh, sources, the company was forced to abandon the project. And uh, so then Sumit was the guy they picked up, and Sumit was trained by a very dear friend of mine, Bobby Mahal from Canada. And, and Sumit stayed with him in his house uh, for three, four years in Canada and trained. And when I went to India the last time, Mahesh asked me to check him out. So I actually hit with Sumit, and I was like, you know, this kid is really good. I mean, he's small by frame, but he had very good hands. He had really good uh, fighting spirit. And I was like, you know, so you need 10 kids like that who are – sort of like you know in the incubation program right i mean they gotta have you gotta make sure you have they have a good schedule they have a good game plan laid out they have somebody who's working monitoring it's like any sort of like you know project management right it's a it's a 10-year project and i'm amazed that a country like india cannot still come up with a, anything like that yeah yeah i'm sure it's very frustrating especially for the pros who know what it takes and all that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully there'll be some sort of learning from other country systems maybe or, I mean, because, I mean, you guys are a very, very smart uh, nation. So hopefully things will improve, like you said. But, um, you know, going back to uh, your career, Fazal, I mean, how hard was it to just all of a sudden you're moving to to America. I mean, did you at least were you were you educated in uh, school with the English language, so that wasn't as much of a barrier? Yeah, I mean, I went to like an English school, so my English was very good, good when I came. And in fact, a lot of people got very upset because when I told them I came from India, they're like, you know, I didn't have. I mean, I was fairly comfortable with my <laughs> language skills, so that was definitely like a huge plus. Um, but you know, it's it's still like you know. Anytime you come to a different culture and a different setting and you're by yourself, yeah. there's a learning curve. There's a fall pause. And I, I have had a million uh, and you know, I could probably write a, write a good book on them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, but it, it was also really fun. You know, I met some of the best people in America and, you know, whatever it is. But like, it's almost like your second birth. You know, I came to America and like, you know, my dream got like the fresh, again, fresh, fresh burst of energy and. You know, I worked at Temple, wasn't the greatest tennis school, but like, you know, I had a coach there, Andy Sorrentino, who really helped me and supported my efforts. And, you know, and I mean, 
people who know tennis, they know that the school like Temple University does not produce professional tennis players because it's just not like in a top 20 SEC or Pac-10 or, you know, one of those programs. So it, it was hard, but like I was fortunate that people around me like supported me. Yeah, 100%. And uh, actually, I'm backing up slightly. I was, I was curious, how much about the universities did you know, uh, like, you know, when you were in India? I mean, did you know about, like, the different schools and which ones were top and all that? No, I had no idea, to be honest with you. Uh, so it, <laughs> gotcha. it was actually, I've got a really funny story. This is, is going to make people laugh. So uh, I had to sort of, like, you know, I was part of this program, and I left, and I told my dad that I, I'm going to take my SAT. A friend of mine said, I got to take my SAT and I can go to America. So he's like, you know, the, these guys are going to try to ruin you, you know, the Indian Federation, because they're not going to be happy that you're leaving them and all that kind of stuff. And anyways, I had made up my mind. So it was done deal. So in the meantime, I worked with my friend and he had a guy here in Temple. The number one player was from Sweden. And he had some kind of family issues. So he, he had to leave mid-semester. And so, so he's like, listen, go take your SATs and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we start working and everything, get, everything's moving a fairly fast. And then my dad goes one day, there's a, some guy from a temple calling about <laughs> playing tennis in America. And he was like sort of confused. He was like, why is somebody from a temple asking about tennis oh, in America? <laughs> so uh, I think I had to fill him in at that point. Like that, I was working uh, my you know, next step. Man, I love that story. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You know, of course, you know, when you hear the, the word and, and your, you know, religious family and all that, that's good stuff. Uh, and uh, let's see, as far as also, I, I mean, like, so universities, again, I, sorry for asking about it, but were, were there other universities that also? Oh, yeah. Recruited? So, so yeah, yeah, no. So I, so I had no idea about anything, uh -huh. like what's a good university or bad university. So my friends, like, here, listen, you go, go to America, get there, and you can transfer after the first year or so, right? So I'm like, okay, whatever. So, you know, just get get out of there. Like, you know, just, kind of like, it's like, just get off the, like, thing. So I'm like, all right, fine, just come to Temple. So I, I, and I show up, I've got no idea. So I show up in Florida. I still remember I was, like, a little bit late. I come to school and a Temple, I don't know if you've been to Phyllis at night, yeah. you know, these gunshots yep. are going yep. off, right? So, <laughs> so my, I, my, my, and in India, we have gunshots when the politicians come, like it's a gun oh, city. Yes, yes. Right? And then you have, and you have sirens only when there's like dignitaries coming, right? Like some kind of important <laughs> yeah. person. So I, I asked my roommate and he goes, is there like a dignitary coming? <laughs> he, oh, yeah. he looked at me like I had five heads. He's like, you, you know, you, you cursed at me first. And he goes, somebody just got shot. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, what does he mean somebody got shot? Like, you know, I didn't even like fathom. I was like, why? Like, <laughs> what happened? Oh, <laughs> so man. He, he, he's looking at me like, like these people, like these foreigners, like, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> kind of like he had that look. He shook his head and just like walked off. But uh, that... So that was that was uh, my uh, you know first experience. I'm like, so what is going on here? Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> well, hopefully a dignitary didn't get shot or anything. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. I actually I remember I was at a podcast conference like two years ago, and every street it seemed like to my hotel that I was walking on like had like a hundred 
homeless people and yeah well you know i wasn't too comfortable i think i probably heard some gunshots but uh, you know they have good cheesesteaks so i'll give them <laughs> give them that but uh no, it, it was good i to be honest with you i never had any problems uh, yeah after a while i got used to it and you know i used to walk late at night and stuff i was very fortunate never anything yeah. happened but yeah it, it was definitely um i had no idea what i was getting into in the ten rooms of the tennis courts the system the program. And then once i learned about it and i did think about uh, transferring to some other schools and there was some really good interest uh, from some of the top schools and i was very close to transferring out as well but you know i, I was uh, i guess i was loyal to my coach and i felt like he yeah. he had sort of built he was trying to help me with my you know dream and he was really like vested in me. He really cared about my success. So I ended up just staying and it worked out just fine for me. Like, I mean, I just had to work a little bit harder uh, in finding actual ac- accessing good stores and all that stuff. But like, you know, it's, again, I think I would be with people who are fortunate to have good people around. And I overachieved, I feel, based on, I took from every, everything from what I got. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you know, question here, which you kind of like alluded to it is, I was wondering, you know, the player of, of your caliber. I mean, you're you're obviously playing number one, but but like, I don't know, like with the other teammates, I'm sure they're, you know, as you mentioned, they're great teammates. But how were you able to get like enough good training to still amazingly, you know, even coming from like a smaller school, you ended up going pro. Yeah, you know, I, to be honest with you, it was not. I mean, I remember going through practices. It would be like six zero, six zero with the number two player, you know, Damn. and then and, and they would hate it. And because a lot of times this coach was scheduling good matches because he wanted me to get that uh, ex- exposure, and the whole team was losing straight set while I was winning them like straight sets and like you know beating some of these good players and stuff. So it wasn't definitely easy, but like you know, again, like we would do a lot of two on ones, and like I would try to find local good yeah. players, uh, local former pros in the area. I was super hungry. I, I was just super hungry. I was like, you know, I mean, I practiced with a girls team. I I used to drill. I used to practice serves. I would go train in the gym. I would go talk to the football coach and get a strength training program for myself. Like uh, <laughs> when I look back, I mean, I was super motivated. That's awesome, and and so I mean, so I know we talked about this a little bit, but on on those tough times, like when you maybe didn't feel like practicing, uh, like what what were you, what was usually your main thought? Was it, you know, I I got to do this so I can become a professional? Was that it, or was it something else? To be honest with you, I loved practicing. My coach, if you ever talked to him, he would he would literally tell me, "You need to take days off. You do not need to practice every day." You do not need to come to every practice. Like, you know, he would literally tell me, you don't need to go to the weight room every day. Like, you know, I was I was a man on a mission and until I got there. Uh, I wasn't going to be stopped. But so he was like, you know, you need to stop. You don't need to overtrain. You need to rest. You need to recover. You need to go enjoy life. Go out. Make a friend. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so I was one of those people. I actually literally, literally uh I would listen to music and get ready for practices like people get ready for matches. Wow. Wow, that's a commitment, yeah, so, man. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely. It was like uh, I had my uh, blinders on and I was going for my target. Gotcha. And, and, you know, with that much training, I mean, you obviously, and I mean, of, of course, there's some merit to it, but like, you know, there's, there's concern about like, overtraining and, and things like that. So, did you ever 
experience any like sorts of injuries or anything? I was fortunate. I didn't have any major injuries. I did get hurt my uh, third year. Uh, I had a problem with my hip. Actually, I won my first uh, pro tournament, a feature tournament. I went to India and I won. I qualified and I won the tournament. I came back and I hurt my hip, which took me a good four or five months to recover from. Um, but I was, for the most part, I didn't have any major injuries uh, per se. I used to stretch a lot. And, you know, at a, as a young age, I, I trained fairly hard. So I think I was physically in pretty good shape. But I do agree. I Like when I talk to the kids that I coach now, I talked about like, you know, I was, I probably was the hardest worker out there, but I wasn't the smartest worker out there. Like, you know, so my whole mantra in, in training, like I teach, talk to the kids, but it's, it's the first thing for practice is smart work, then hard work, and then consistent work. I always had the hard and the consistent down, but I really didn't have a smart work down. And uh, so now I'm so meticulous about my students is like teaching them how to maximize practices. Like, you know, just having a, a goal to improve a certain thing in a certain amount of time, a certain area of the game, and then just attacking it that way. And not playing one hour means nothing if you didn't improve. And playing 15 minutes, if you improve 1% is enough. Love that. Yeah, that that's huge right there. So, I mean, you know, would you say that there were days when you played or when you practiced that you would just go out there to just, like, grind and hit, like, a million balls type of thing? Yeah, for sure, all the time. I mean, I, I really – I mean, if I trained – five percent of the way that i make my kids train i think i'd be like i know there are people who've told me i could be top 20 in the world the top 50 i was done at that time i definitely would have been a lot lot better i mean i was just a workhorse without a plan but i was just you know i just won because i was just going to break the wall down i didn't care about scaling it or going around it yeah well introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that Learn more at marines.com. I mean, yeah, when you, yeah, I agree. If you combine that, you'd, you'd uh, crush. So um, as far as like um, turning pro, I was wondering if you could just talk about that and like, uh, you know, the transition from college to pro and how that, especially how it initially was for you. Well, you know, it was like, uh, I remember like my, my freshman year, I went back to India and like this playing Davis Cup was my big goal. And I remember going to play like this Indian national. I lost first round to some joker and I was just devastated. And I was just like, I can't believe this. And like, and, I, and these guys were like super happy because I, I left the system and gone out and lost to some joker. Oh, that's tough. So I came back the following year. I didn't go back. I practiced with the winner and I was just really motivated. And the following year, 
I went back and I won the futures from my qualifying and I did really well in some of the local tournaments and stuff. So now this is a fairly big jump, uh, especially somebody who plays tennis. No, there's division one tennis, there's high level division one tennis, then there's pro tennis. And Temple was not a high level division one tennis. So at best, like, you know, I mean, I had gotten access to some tournaments and stuff, like you know i wasn't really competing with the top 10 ncaa players day in day out and so for me to go and win a features tournament beating guys who are like 400 300 in the world was a big deal and uh so the transition was it's it was hard but like you know it's a different game altogether but i was already practicing that way like in in college my whole goal was to become a pro so i it was not about winning matches like i want to play big tennis i want to like you know hit the ball very big go for shots kind of like i was a very aggressive player so i think that helped me when i went to the pro tennis like you know i did i was able to make like because i was i was almost like overheating because i felt like to be a pro i needed to hit the ball so hard like you know to play such a big game which reality is not true. In reality, is not true. It's it's a balanced approach. Um, so it was definitely. It, it took a little bit of getting used to it. And I remember after I won my first pro tournament, I came back and I went to California, and Canada, and Greece to play. And then you start seeing. I remember playing the same tournaments as Mike Bryan, Bob Bryan. I actually beat uh, Dmitry Tursunov, who was I think top ten in the world for a little bit. Um, I played him in California. I beat him in California. Did I beat him in California? Or, uh, yeah, I beat him in California. He beat me in Florida. And it was definitely a, a big transition. But, but, you know, I knew that the game is going to be changing. And and I was already looking at that game. So I think it helped me from that perspective. Wow, that's, that's awesome stuff there, uh, Fazal. And what would you say maybe was like the biggest lesson that you learned uh, on the Pro Tour? Uh, you know, just like in order to be, I think, like a top level player, like a serious, like a top 50 player, it's you got to have a team. You you got to have a plan. You got to know. I mean, you know, I had no plan. I was just like, you know, I mean, I had no money. I had no plan. I just had you know, a heart, which which was like, you know, I had a lot of heart because I just was working hard. But like, I just didn't have the money and the organization behind me to really get to the top level and you don't get to the top level if you don't plan your work you know and the biggest lesson there was you don't become good by chance and you don't get good just by working hard you get good by planning it being organized being financially stable because you got to have a good coach you got to have a good trainer you got to have a good nutritionist at least have access to these people you got to be able to play the right tournaments. You got to be able to practice in the right situations, like in the right environment. And you know, after some point, like my engine just couldn't compete with the better engines. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I mean, you know, I was obviously did some research before speaking with you, and I I noticed. I mean, you got to the top four hundred in singles, top two hundred in doubles, and I mean, some people they take, I mean, like a decades in some cases to get to that point, even, and and they still keep going. So, I mean, I mean, you you alluded to it, but would you say like the f- 
financial side was like the main reason Huge. why because it was like four years right it was pretty much how long yeah two years it took me two i played four years but two years within two years i started having success and right. doubled that even like play seriously and doubled my first year i made like eight or nine finals i won tournaments and stuff and i remember in dubai playing my last year 2001 playing dubai opened the qualities and i played this guy tomas baron who was like i think like I can't remember, like 120 or 110, somewhere like uh, low one handles. And uh, I, I lost him 7-6 in the third. And his coach, he might be like head of the German Federation now, Dirk Kordoff. And he was coaching Reiner Schuttler, who was like maybe five or six in the world at the time. So he came up to me in the player lounge and he's like, oh, who's your coach? I said, I have no coach. He's like, who are you here with? I said, myself. He's like, you're joking. I said, no. He said, uh, why, "You come to Germany, and I'll, I'll train train with you, and you'll be top twenty in singles, and you you'll be t- uh, top fifty in singles, and top ten in doubles." And I was like, "I'm quitting after this year." He's like, "You're crazy," and he just walked off. <laughs> he walked off. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> he, and uh, so you know, I, I, yes, definitely the not having the money and was a huge part of it. Like it was, it, it was just hard. Like I, I think. Um, you know, there's a lot of people like that. I mean, I was fortunate that even within a short span of time, I got to where I got to, like you said, like, you know, um, and uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, as far as the finances, I mean, was it like at certain points you were pretty much like paycheck to paycheck? And also, like, did it weigh really heavily like in matches when you were playing or were you able to block it out? Well, I'll tell you, this is a funny, uh, it was not funny, but like when I look back, it's funny. Like, you know, so I was going to play three weeks in Canada, three weeks in Florida, no, three weeks in Florida, three weeks in Canada, and then I was going to go two weeks to Greece. I had an eight week plan. And I, like, I can't remember what my, like, and I had a very, very, very low budget. Like, in fact, my best friend, who was like my brother to me, he gave me some money. He's like, you know, I know this is your dream and you want to do it. And he was an intern at this time. And, uh, you know, God bless his heart. Like, you know, uh, so he gave me some money. And, like, it was just like, okay, you go. And by the time I got to Greece, I was out of money. So I'm so I'm literally befriended a couple of the Aussie guys. And I said, like, listen, I'm out of money. I just need a place to crash. So there were literally, like, three people in the smallest room possible. <laughs> so they're like, uh, Paul Hanley was actually, I don't know if you remember, he played, like, top 10 doubles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you guys, yeah, you you can sleep by the ba- floor on 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 like by the bathroom. So it was just like, you know, like literally at night if somebody's like they're crossing over me to go to the bathroom, <laughs> and I was I remember having no money, so I'm like literally existing on Snicker bars and chips. This is a funny story, but like, oh but gosh. you know, this all built character, and I think um, it was good for me to um, sort of like you know go through it. But yeah, it, it was. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it brings back memories. <laughs> yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you sharing, you know, it's, uh, you know, tough, some of the memories, but I mean, overall you had an amazing career and, you know, like I just, so many people are so, uh, you know, envious in the, that respect that, you know, they wish they could get to that level. Um, if you, I guess, okay. Two parter. Did you feel like you reached your, given what you, your circumstances, did you, did you feel like you reached your potential? And if not, what would you have done differently if you could do it over again? 
Which you, you know, you said you don't look back, but so sorry for the question. But yeah, no, um, no, I, I yeah. think it's a fair question. I I definitely think I overachieved given what I had given, been given. Mm-hmm. You know, so given the funds that I had and the, you know, where I was, I way overachieved. And you know, if I were to do it differently, um, I, I you know, I mean, I don't even know. I. It, Say if I have if I come from a privileged background or have a lot of money, maybe I don't have the same desire and fight. You know, I know a lot of people who some of the people who, who had been sponsored by the Indian Federation yeah. to send them to tournaments. They sure. came and you know they just stayed in the hotel and enjoyed the the all you can eat breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, there are people who told me like the guy, oh, man. he just tank his matches and just go enjoy himself. <laughs> yeah, you know, so. so I don't know. I think, you know, it would be like, you know, I think where Spain produces a lot of players is where the former players have a mentorship. So, so, you know, they'll take in a young guy and say, you know, come to tournaments, practice, watch. They get to practice with them, watch them, see them. They'll ask them what tournaments they're playing, what they're doing kind of stuff. So you have quite a sort of like a, like a big brother program. And I think that goes a long way. First of all, the tour is very lonely. You don't have friends. You know, it's just nice to have some kind of uh, companions or your friends. That makes a big difference. And if you have like that access to that knowledge that like, hey, listen, this is, uh, you got to plan three years ahead and you've got to have, uh, you got to do this for your game. You've got to do that for your body. You've got to, do this for your scheduling, you know, uh, I think that would have gone a long way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but like we said, you did do a fantastic job. Uh, one last question about, uh, the tour before we get into, uh, your, you know, your, your fantastic coaching program in, in level seven tennis. Uh, what was the toughest part would you say about being a tour professional? I, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, coming from India, getting visas every week was a nightmare. And especially if you're traveling and organizing your travel on your own, that was really tough. And also, you know, the, the emotional roller coaster, because you're on your own, you win and lose, you're on your own. And uh, it's kind of, um, I, that's the big uh, thing. Like it's, it's, it's very lonely. It's really lonely. Sure. Sure. For sure. Especially, you know, without, uh, without a team with you. And so now, uh, you know, I'm sure you could guess it. The next question is kind of pretty much like your transition. So, I mean, you know, if you could talk about like, um, your decision to retire and then, you know, when you actually ended up, uh, coming up with the idea for uh, level seven tennis. You know, level seven it took a while. Um, I finished at a time I was like, you know, I want to go finish my education. That, that was important to me. And so I, I had turned pro my senior year. So I stopped and I went back to school and I got a job as a teaching pro at a local club here. And I went to school at night. And you know, now I was furious about getting the best possible grades so I could like, you know, make my transition to the next career. I really, um, what was interesting was at this time, I was starting to start already thinking like, what do I want to do with myself kind of thing. And, you know, so I had really taken a lot of interest in currencies because I was always changing money at that time. 
and I ended up working that one summer, 2001 summer in the Hamptons. And one of the guys that I trained, uh, coached one day turned out to be one of the greatest currency traders ever. And so when I came back, so I had suddenly this thing in my head that I wanted to get into investment banking. So I had learned about like, you know, so I was like, I got to take all these finance and uh, specific uh, courses, be really focused about this. So I may, uh, fast forward, work through the last bit of schoolwork, takes me a couple of years because I'm working full time, go to school at night. I finished, I got into derivatives trading for Wells Fargo. I moved to Dallas. I give up tennis. I'm done with tennis, and I was just teaching a little bit part-time, maybe like five hours on a weekend or something, just for like, you know, just for fun because they needed some help and stuff. But I really didn't enjoy it. I mean, I enjoyed certain aspects of it, but I was not really super stoked about uh, that culture of the business. And then 2008 financial crisis hits, and I was in Dallas, and one of my old uh, students uh, and friends, he happens to be one of the wealthy guys in the area, and uh, he invites me back to Philly. So I start teaching on the side and just start like you know trying to figure out what I want to do next. And I was doing real estate, I was doing finance, and and everybody always told me I was fairly good as a coach. And uh, so, you know, one fine day I went to, I just, I was sort of like done with everything. I was like, what makes me really happy is like, I love teaching. I love like helping kids. And, uh, you know, I went to, a friend of mine was going to Turkey on like a backpacking trip. So I said, all right, I'll come along. And I went there and I really, you know, I was like, what do I want to do? And then that's where the whole concept level seven tennis came to me. And I said, you know. I'm going to go back and start my company and uh, I haven't looked back ever since. It's amazing. And, um, uh, you know, you've impacted so many different players and, and children and, and adults. And maybe if you could just like briefly go, you know, m- maybe mention the seven, you know, pillars of, of your program. Yeah, so the level seven is, it's, uh, you know, based on seven virtues. It's wisdom, it's knowledge, courage, industry, courtesy, compassion and contribution. And it's based on seven virtues, and it's aspiring to be a person of high character in the sport. And it, it, what sport really does, it, it you know, teaches you about character and reveals who you really are in life. And I think, it, uh, you know, I was greatly impacted by my coaches more than the classroom, you know, classes that I took. I don't think any of the teachers really impacted me. You know, I took a lot of classes. And... I feel like in tennis, especially in tennis, like I learned so much. The game gave me so much, and I wanted to to hopefully give back, you know. And I wanted to create people who are not just about forehands and backhands. These are people who are high people, and I aspire to be myself, somebody who wants to be higher. And so that's how level seven came up with. And like you know, the whole goal was to create people of contribution and to be aspire to be a person of contribution. And that's the, you know, that's what drives me. That's that's fantastic. I mean, I, what I really appreciate is that you have a program that's really focused on the, you know, the whole, all aspects of the individual, not just training, but, uh, you know, tennis training, but, you know, you're trying to put forth really great people uh, of great character into society. And, and uh, so I, I definitely applaud you for that. Also, just curious, you know, what, what type of programs do you offer at uh, Level 7 Tennis? Yeah. 
you know, it, it's there's something for everyone. My best student just went to California to play for Pepperdine, Robert Shelton. Awesome. You know, so he's somebody who wants to play pro tennis. He started playing futures and stuff. And we also have the kid uh, who's three years old, just starting off. And we also have the kid who's 14, who's never played tennis. Who's there to, you know, they're not the most athletic kid, but they want to get out there and play and have fun with their family. So the, it's a program which is for everybody. Like I always say, I don't care how good you are or how bad you are. If you have a good attitude and you give me your best effort, I'm I'd love to teach you. There you go. Awesome. Awesome. And just a quick mention about I was curious if you could maybe uh mention you coached uh, Mahesh Bupati and, and also Martin Dam for a while. So I was wondering how that experience was like for you. Uh, that was amazing. Uh so my finishing up my college and then uh, Mahesh asked me to if I wanted to help him during the US Open circuit. Uh that year, I think, I believe it's 2001, two, three, four. Yeah, 2005. I think it's 2005. Uh, it's gone so, it's so far back, I forget the year. Um, so uh, I agreed to it. And it was fun to get back into the coaching at the highest levels. And, uh, you know, it, it revealed to me like I had a certain eye, you know, I had a certain talent, although I didn't really respect it. And I really sort of like, you know, I mean, he asked me to coach some other people and stuff and think about it. And I was like, I'm not interested. And even now I'm not interested. I don't want to go coach out of the tour because I really want to be with my kids. And uh, I really enjoy now. But it was amazing to be out there with the, the best players in the world to watch, you know, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer and Agassi and Boris Becker and all these guys like, in the locker rooms and you know these are some of the people's you're like wow like you know there you are with them yeah. and you know it was really a, a tremendous experience and you know with the culmination uh, my hair streets this uh, finals of the u.s open mixed doubles so we warmed up in the center court in the u.s open and right after my finished roger came on court so i just sat on the linesman chair and watched roger play warm up and uh, it was it was really uh, it was really a neat experience. Yeah, I, I bet it was. It's fantastic. Also, uh, I I saw that you had ended up playing some uh, national USA tournaments and winning them. And I, I assume that was probably after um, uh, pros. And so I was wondering, you know, you, you, it seemed like even though you you stopped playing on the pro tour, you did play some uh, tournaments later on. So has the hunger for competition ever? Uh, come back to you? Like, do you ever feel like competing, or is it pretty much all coaching these days? You know, um, I, yes, I did win some of those USC tournaments. It's more like uh, for some of our friends were like, "We, you should keep playing, and you know, we'd love to see you play." So they're like, "NRU in the tournaments and stuff, kind of thing." <laughs> so I actually compete a little bit now. My son, who's nine, who really, uh, I don't know, we'll see how he goes, but he should some promise and he wants his goal is to play men's doubles with me by the time he's 14 sweet so he's like i want you to keep playing so we could play our first men's doubles tournament together so i was like fine so this year i started actually playing some <laughs> tournaments just to like you know keep myself uh, together and then some of the good kids i get to uh, play with so you know that uh, 
makes it fun. Awesome. Very awesome, Fazal. And, you know, you you give back to the community. You, you hosted an event called Love All, I think a couple months ago. And I just want to ask you, you know, I guess maybe another two-parter, you know, why it's important to you to give back to the tennis community and also, you know, feel free to describe the, the event and how, how that went as well. Sure. I mean, Love All is an interfaith tennis initiative, which is started at this our third year. You know, with the whole madness that was going around the world, the Islamophobia and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I was going to was, uh, for, uh, Florida for a coaching course. And, you know, this woman, you know, she kept asking me where I was from. And she was looking at my beard. And she's like, you know, asking me the obvious. But I was like, I'm from India. I'm kind of like dancing around the question. And then when I finally told her I was Muslim, our first reaction was, are you guys all trying to kill us? Kill our kids. Mm. Crazy. So, you know, I kind of smiled at her and I said, does it look like I'm trying to kill your kids? <laughs> <laughs> so she, she kind of felt bad because she just sort of blurted it out. And, you know, prior to that, I had actually helped her child put her his bag up on the bin up top and stuff. So we started having a conversation and, you know, I asked her what news channels you listen to, and the usual stuff, because you know where they get this information from. So she's like, yes, yes, yes. Like I was like, I don't do any Muslims and stuff. Like, no, and I was like, she's just somebody like, you know, works at a fairly high level. He's, she's going through her, like, you know, winter home in Florida. And she's completely like sort of um, really doesn't know and has been sort of like uh, manipulated into having this opinion about a group of people which she, she has no understanding about. And so I was like, you know what? So I had a good conversation with her, and at the end of the flight, you know, she crossed her heart. She's like, I'm really sorry. I've been, you know, meaning to, wanted God to make me meet someone like you. So I, you know, I would understand this is great. And uh, I was like, you know, come over to my house, you know, follow me. I'm a public person. And she's like, are you serious? <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, you know, why not? So when I came back, I just got thinking, and I was like, you know what? I need to do something about educating people about it because there's too many people who are dividing people and tennis can be a great platform to bring people together because already as a tennis player, you deal with people from all parts of the world, all different backgrounds, all different religions, all different, like, you know, sport brings you together, you know, and you don't need to agree on everything, but you can still be civil and, you know, have a relationship, you know. You don't have, so I was like, you know, I got talking to somebody, a friend of mine, and uh, we said, you know, why don't, why don't your, your church come to our mosque and, you know, our mosque goes to your church. We'll just start off that way. And so I had her bring her church uh, gathering to our mosque, and they were just astounded. Like, you know, we just did a basic presentation and we said, like, this is what Islam is. You don't have to agree with us, and we don't have to agree with you, but we, at least we should know where we stand, and we have a relationship. So the fear of the other breaks down. And it was an amazing, it was a powerful moment where people were just like, you know, some people had tears in their eyes, some people were like, just like genuinely moved. So it was, it was really powerful, and so we were like, okay, great. And then they invited us to their church, and we went there, and uh, there was a really great speaker there, Ibu Patel, uh, was talking about interfaith relations and then uh, the interfaith center of philadelphia was there so they had sponsored them and so i went up to the lady there and i said hey listen my name is father said and i saw this thing and i really would like to use tennis to do something like this. she's like oh you know what i'm a tennis player that would be really cool how do we do it uh-huh. 
I'm like, I don't know. Let's think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we said, okay, let's try to do this. And then um, we just got talking and we came up with this idea. And we said, let's do it tennis charity event, we'll do a clinic, we'll do an exhibition, we'll bring people together, raise some money for the Interfaith Center, and we'll talk about how the youth are impacted and you know, use the money for youth programs. And I said, great, and the first year we did, it was like 125 people showed up, you know? And uh, it was awesome. And then, so we did it again last year, and we did it again this year. And, uh, the, you know, we had great messages from, uh, you know, some of our friends, Prakash Amritraj, we did, uh, you know, Mahesh Bhupati, Sam Qureshi, James Blake. They all sent a message like this year. We got the Philadelphia uh, 76ers come on board. This sponsored the event. So, and we had like a local Philly uh, radio show pickup. Did, I did an interview uh, talking about it and how using uh, sports. You know, the events, uh, the, we call it uh, Get On Court, Build Bridges, Connect Hearts. And it's essentially what it is. It's like, you know, if you play pe with people with different backgrounds and stuff, you know, you may not like their forehand or the way they look or the way they're dressed, but you don't, but you don't hate each other, you know? Hopefully, like, there's a relationship there and it's, you know, it's, it's a way to dispel some of the vile, uh, you know, it's a toxic environment. And I hope, you know, it's my... Uh, you know, my religion teaches me the best of people who bring the greatest good to mankind. And, you know, it's my way of bringing some good, hopefully healing society and trying to create harmony. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Fazal. I, you know, I can't applaud you enough for doing this type of, you know, thing. I mean, I, you make me think back to when I was on the, my college team, just like you were, you know, we had people of all different religions, different countries, and, um, you know, we, we bonded and everything was good, you know, all good. And, uh, by you bringing together different communities and religions, it's, it's really bettering the world. And so, uh, just amazing stuff there. Where can we, um, find out more about, uh, you and also about level seven tennis? You know, I'm on level7tennis.com. That's my website. And I'm also on uh, social media on Facebook and uh, Instagram. Uh, level seven tennis so it's easy to find me if anybody wants to connect with level seven tennis sweet awesome uh definitely we're going to have all the links that we mentioned on the show including of course level seven tennis and uh your your profiles uh from social on the show notes page and uh also fazal i know it's uh it's obviously kind of <laughs> pretty late bedtime and all that but Wanted to ask you this question, uh, which is a classic. I always ask this question. Uh, what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? One key tip. Mm. Keep your ba body balanced and mm. swing fluid. Your body will tell you how it needs to go. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. So do you see like a lot of uh, like a lack of fluidity? Like is that pretty much just people trying to use incorrect muscles like at the wrong time i think a lot of people um you know the game is you're going to learn as good as the person you're learning from yeah. and if you're really at one with your body mm -hmm. you'll have balance now i'm going into philosophy here <laughs> that's good if you can keep your body balanced that means everything is moving the energy is moving forward in a straight line so that's where the flow comes in. If your swing has some hitches, it, your body is telling you 
something's not moving in the right way. So if you can ask your body to be fluid, you will find your natural technique. You don't have to have 20 degree angle there and 30 degree angle there and nose pointing eastward and toes pointing westward. You need to really ask your body, how can I be more fluid and how can I be more balanced? If I'm leaning one way, I cannot be balanced. How am I centered? How can I flow? Wow, I love that that advice. That's uh, actually very unique. I don't recall it being said, but uh, I think uh, everybody should uh, adhere to that advice. So, uh, Fazal, I, I once again, you know, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It was a, a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, we learned a lot today. And it was really a very interesting uh, discussion, and I really enjoyed it. So, uh, everybody, obviously should check out Level 7 Tennis and follow Fazal. And uh, thanks so much for uh, coming on to the show. My pleasure, Marabon. It was uh, really great. I enjoyed talking to you. And good luck with everything. And uh, hope to connect with you again in the future. Thanks. Same to you. Appreciate it. All right. I really hope you enjoyed listening to my interview with Fazal Syed. Fazal, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. I know it was a late night for us both, but I really enjoyed the chat and all the great golden nuggets that you gave us to help us improve our game and lives. Uh, I'd also really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast, and you can do that by going to your favorite podcast app of your choice and hitting that big, juicy subscribe button. I really would appreciate that. It would bring more visibility to the podcast as well as bring you the latest episodes to your phone or computer or whatever it is that you use instantly as soon as I publish it online, which is every Wednesday. I'd also like to leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the show, and this one is by John Burroughs, and John said, the smallest deed is better than the greatest intention, and that's so true because it's much better for us to actually act than think about all these great things but do nothing. So I love that quote by Mr. Burroughs there. And any links that I mentioned on the show will be at tennisfiles.com slash 123. That's the show notes page. And with that, I really appreciate you listening to this episode. Uh, Just let me know whatever subject areas you want me to cover about tennis, and I will make it happen either through guests or by talking about my own experiences and what I've learned throughout the years. So thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.